Hey everybody, this is Manny Faces, producer and host of Newsbeat. Back again with you guys for an episode of Backbeat, our behind-the-scenes look at the full episodes, give some greater depth and insight as to the information that we provide to you in our Newsbeat episodes. We're here to discuss the latest episode, which is called Land of the Rich, Home of the Poor, America's Poverty Crisis. A very deep and emotional, I think in some some regards, episode. We really touched upon some realities that are stark and perhaps unexpected when it comes to how those in our country who are poor are really facing hardships that I think go underreported and underappreciated. So, of course, we brought some great voices to the fray. We had another amazing lyrical contribution. As you guys know at Newsbeat, we merge social justice and civil liberty journalism with music and original lyrical contributions from amazing hip-hop artists. Uh, Our good friend Liquid rejoined us for this episode. She was stunning. The story itself is uh, touching, and the stats are staggering. Uh, So we'll talk about it a little bit as we get into it here with the rest of the Newsbeat crew. Uh, Once again, just want to remind you that all of our uh, episodes and information about us and who we are and what we do and why we do it can be found online at www.usnewsbeat.com. One of the places we'd like you to check out there, if you do like Newsbeat, if you are familiar with us, and if you haven't checked out the episodes yet, we urge you to do so before listening to the backbeat. It's kind of like... Spoiler alert, you don't want to listen to the behind the scenes until you've seen the movie. If you like what we're doing and want to help us continue to do it, one of the things that we ask is you swing by our support page, usnewsbeat.com slash support. It's a place where we do collect donations from you, the adoring uh, public, uh, because we want to make sure that we can continue to pay the artists. That's where that money goes. Uh, as a as a musician, uh, musician's advocate, I absolutely insist that artists are compensated for their amazing work, and we want to continue to do so. We all feel that way here, and through your help, we can continue to do that, to bring these incredible stories to life in a way that nobody else is doing. So please, usnewsbeat.com slash support. And uh, at the very least, subscribe, rate, review, and share. Share this podcast. Let people know what we're doing uh, across your social media channels and in handwritten notes uh, to your nana. So I'm here uh, joined, as always, by my good friends and colleagues, the editor-in-chief of Newsbeat, Mr. Christopher Tawarski. What up, man? And the managing editor of Newsbeat, Mr. Rashed Mian. Yo. How you doing, fellas? How's it going? Doing well. Well, we want to get into it a little bit, speak a little bit behind the scenes, uh, talk about this issue of poverty, America's poverty crisis that we covered in Land of the Rich, Home of the Poor. I thought that the um, the insights provided by our voices were really incredible. Uh, you know, we know about poverty in America. We know that there are poor people in America. We hear about welfare. These are all, you know, hot button topics, uh, you know, in the news and the political rhetoric going on. But to really hear the insight of people who are taking the time to traverse the country uh, and really dig in and inspect and, and you know and 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 go into the communities that are facing hardship, economic hardship. We find, of course, that it's across racial lines, across across all demographics, all all areas of the country, rural, you know, urban, suburban. There's people facing uh, what some of our guests even referred to as third world conditions. So it was really eye-opening, I think, to hear it in this kind of detail, and of course, musically as well, and then complemented by Liquid's uh, amazing insight as an artist and as a resident of this country. So, uh, let's go talk about it a little bit. Chris, you want to introduce, as you usually do, the uh, amazing 
people who joined us for this episode. Yeah, definitely. So uh, we spoke with Philip Alston. Uh, he's a United Nations Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty and Human Rights, and also the John Norton Pomeroy Professor of Law at New York University School of Law, mm-hmm. um, who, as you mentioned, uh, uh, traveled the country, you know, compiling a report for the United Nations on uh, poverty and what's also called uh, extreme poverty. Right. Um, and this is something, I guess, with the United Nations, he would have he, he's gone to other places in the world, so he has something to compare it against, right? I mean, right, he, right. This is the guy right. that knows. He's the special rapporteur on poverty. We had a rapporteur yeah. on our program. It's pretty, cool. pretty right, uh, right. high end. We spoke with uh, Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, co-chair mm. of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, and co-director of the Kairos Center for Religions, Rights, and Social Justice, who also... Uh, has been on a quest around the country, uh, rallying communities, tens of thousands of people for this moral awakening to shine a light on these conditions that, uh, as you mentioned, are so omnipresent, yet often go overlooked by mainstream media, do, definitely do not get the attention uh, and the, uh, that and they the poor, deserve. And the Poor People's Campaign, of course, and the, uh, the, the extension of the movement that was started by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., 100%. which we talked about, of course, in our episode, MLK, What They Won't Teach You in School. We actually talked uh, a right. lot about the Poor People's Campaign. Right. So it was something that we were familiar with. And not you know, not everyone understands that this is a big movement that uh, w- was big then, uh, part of MLK's legacy that was overlooked, as we talked about, and is now still very active and pushing for, uh, for some of these, uh, these issues. Right, right. And, and uh, for added emphasis, um, it is uh, 50 years this year, 50th anniversary of that uh, initial Poor People's Campaign, which Martin Luther King did not get to participate in himself since he was assassinated just a month or two earlier. Right. This year's uh, initiative uh, is going to culminate on a similar march to Washington, uniting you know the poor from across race, uh, across, uh, across the country, and really try to raise attention about uh, this because, you know, and we'll get into a little bit more uh, in this backbeat here, but, you know, the initial Poor People's Campaign, I think that the figures were 40 million to 60 million people at that time in 1968 living in poverty. And um, as uh, you'll hear in the the actual episode, you know, there's more than 40 million Americans currently living in poverty or one in every eight citizens. So the, the problem is still as rampant now as it as it was then. Yeah. And lastly, we spoke to Pramila Nadison, uh, who's a professor of history at Barnard College, Columbia University, and co-founder of Scholars for Social Justice, a coalition of progressive academics uh, trying to make a difference on topics like this. Right. Fantastic. Uh, we had uh, insights from all three of those individuals that, again, just uh, from every angle that really you know, emphasized this problem in great detail. I think that we could start off Manny, with with, uh, even just uh, reiterating some of the stats that you spoke about in the intro. Right, right. um, That uh, the biggest hypocrisy here, uh, at least for me, uh, the biggest irony is that we have one of the wealthiest countries in certain parameters, the wealthiest country on the globe, and yet there are more than 40 million Americans living in poverty. You know, to quote some of those stats that you mentioned in the intro there, that's more than one in every eight citizen, or nearly 13% of the entire population. Mm. And about half of those are living in what's called deep or extreme poverty. Right. There's about 15 million children, or 21% of all children in the United States, living 
in families earning annual incomes below the federal poverty threshold and in dire conditions, as you, as you stated, what, what can be described as third world countries. Right. And that's uh, not, again, not us saying that. That's uh, Philip Alston saying it because, again, as the UN Special Rapporteur on Poverty, uh, he's seen some poverty in the rest of the world. And we get pegged as, you know, the first world, the leader of the world, the richest country in the world. And to see the, to hear these kind of numbers attached to us, you know, it's one of those things that you kind of know about. You know that there's people that are poor. You know that there are r- rural areas that are still not well off. And the economic conditions in, in some cities and in inner cities are, are, are terrible. But these are big numbers. This is this is a sizable portion of the, the of the population that we're talking. We're talking about mil- tens of millions of people, and something doesn't sit right there. We shouldn't, you know, be having that kind of disparity economically. And in even going off Chris's numbers, there's even about 64 million people, which is basically a fifth of the country that makes less than $15 an hour, uh, which right. sort of, you know, adds more emphasis to the push in the last couple of years to sort of raise the minimum wage to at least $15. Right. And even the experts who follow poverty and track economics say that's not even enough. Um, and the federal minimum wage itself has not uh, gone up since 2009. Right. And some so states you, are actually are trying to do that. But but you're talking about a fifth of the country making less than $15 an hour. Right. And we say like you hear now, you know, or I don't want to say now. Let me. I, I'm not going to because it's not just now in this recent administration. Because obviously jobs were rebounding, the economy was rebounding before the Trump administration started. This is just a continuation of some of the economic decisions that were made by the Obama administration. But when you hear job numbers going up, jobs are going up, jobs are going up. Sure, that's great news. But what doesn't go up is the uh, is the the rate of pay. Right, wages are still wages. basically haven't risen. Uh, since the ec- economic co- collapse in 2009. Right. But uh, that's for normal people. But um, as right. we note in our story that we, we always tell people to check out at usnewsbeat.com that corresponds with each episode, we note that the top at three years after the, the economic collapse, uh, the top 1% uh, earners netted 95% of the income gains in the country, which is just mm. staggering. So they got all the, they got the, the wage increases. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, 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 <laughs> and, there's the, and the banks got bailed, bailed out. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's uh, the wealth of three people in the country. Um, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and Warren Buffett is the equivalent of the collective wealth of 40% of the public. Right. I mean, so so underscoring all of this poverty is this massive uh, income inequality gap, right. uh, which I believe the United States is the worst in the world. As that deepens, as that widens, these conditions uh, not only persist, but they only worsen. Right. So what are some of the things that we found that we didn't get into in the episode, some, some added stuff that I think people would be uh, truly interested to hear? Obviously, if you heard this episode, uh, the... You know, there's emotion there. We hear these stats. Some of this stuff could be spun. You know, again, you could say jobs are going up. Wages may follow. Uh, tax The tax bill is supposed to make companies have more money, more money, and to dish it out to their their uh, their employees. Maybe that's going to help. We don't know. Um, Rashad, you were talking. You brought up some interesting stats uh, as we were talking before we went in about how politics plays a role in this and how uh, a good number of people who maybe who are voting with the economy in mind may have come from some of these very, very poor areas and really placed their votes expecting some kind of change or benefit to them. Right, right. What was it that you found? You know, obviously one of the things we heard a lot after the election, which uh, 
the popular vote that Donald Trump lost by 3 million, but was that that a lot of so-called working class white people came out to support Trump, uh, which also ignored, you know, the affluent people in suburbia that also supported him. But the media really honed in on this idea of working class white people um, right. that came out in droves to, to, vote to, elect, to elect the businessman president. Yes. Right. For, for the electoral college to elect Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, you know, I was sort of interested in uh, finding out just like, so where are some of these poorest counties in America? Uh, which states, where do they reside and how did they vote? Just doing some sort of basic research, there's two indicators. There's uh, lowest per capita income and there's median household income. And in terms of lowest per capita income, four of the five lowest, basically poorest people in the country in these counties voted for Donald Trump in the 2016 election. Um, Some of them by sizable numbers. There was uh, one county, uh, Bledsoe County in Tennessee, where the um, uh, income, uh, personal income was 20000 on average, $20,000 uh, a year. Mm. And they elected Trump by a margin of basically 60%. Mm. They supported him. There's also, you know, like I mentioned, there's the median household income. Three out of the five elected Hillary Clinton in some of these states. But if you go down the list, there's more, you, you notice more of a trend of these people uh, supporting Donald Trump. So overall, uh, right. the, the, the trend that you, lo- that you see is that poor counties— right in America tended to vote I don't want to say for Trump but you know, because I mean these these are some of these are deep red right. states so they so may traditionally, it's really not a surprise right yeah. they may traditionally vote republican they continued to vote republican in, right. you know in this uh, and but perhaps in some cases overwhelmingly so I think it's, it, you know, it's always the economy, right? You hear it's the economy stupid all the yeah. time with, you know, with elections and such. So I would would this be sort of an extension of the Poor people in the because you don't see that in 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 poor urban areas that may tend to vote Democrat, mm. right? Right. You know, right. So. You see, right. You see that, in, especially in the cities. These are, you know, from what we can tell, these are a lot of rural areas in the country. Now, what uh, I find ironic about that is, and as you hear from the episode, you find out that uh, some of the rhetoric, some of the political rhetoric, and some of the discussion has been aimed at the welfare state, the abuses of the welfare state. Um, sort of an attack on on poor people. I don't want to say an attack, but I, you it's know, a criminalization of the poor. Criminalization of the poor. But politicization too, like as you mentioned, you know, um, right. when you're yelling and screaming about these things at a rally. And look, it goes without saying that most of the people that voted for Donald Trump were white people, right? Um, and when these people that came out to the, his rallies were, you know. I think it's easy to say at least ninety percent. You know, white people came to these rallies. At least. So when you're yelling and screaming about welfare, the the mo- the picture that people have in their heads is black people, right? Or you know, Spanish people, right? People who are, as Austin says in our episode and has said in his preliminary report, there's this sense that they're just sitting around the sofa watching TV, right? Doing nothing all day, sure, and just sort of munching on taxpayer dime, <laughs> right. right? But as we as we know, and as as uh, Reverend Theo Harris uh, talked about in the. Uh, uh, as ever, as everyone talked about in the episode, Basically, that yeah. uh, poverty is across racial lines. That most po- people in the country who are declared poverty or extremely poor are white, just by the raw numbers. Um, now, poverty does disproportionately affect people of color. You know, so there's yeah. sort of. But I think an extra. Uh, uh, there's more. There's eight million more poor whites in America than. Right, yeah, and I think that her quote was something like, you know, the, the 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 poster child of poor in the country currently is a nine-year-old white girl. Right, 
So if you follow, um, especially the poor people's campaign, which I think is an amazing uh, movement that that sprouted up again, you know, as you guys mentioned, following the uh, the lead of Martin Luther King's uh, movement in 1968 before he was gunned down. The amazing thing is they're building a coalition. You know, to them this is not about race, um, which is important because these are they're just trying to raise up uh, the lives of ordinary Americans, whether they're, you know, white Americans, black Americans, uh, Latino, Native Americans, um, Asian American, people of all shapes, genders, colors, which is important because as you're, as we're mentioning, it just affects a wide swath of the country. And one aspect that didn't get touched on enough well, a lot in the episode is basically just the um, the income gap just widening in this country. Right. You know, so uh, I think uh, there was a stat uh, that we had where it was a Pew Research report recently that's, that found that the wealth gap between the upper income households and low and mi- middle class families are at the highest levels ever recorded in this mm. country. There's almost no middle class anymore. <laughs> right. The middle class has disappeared, which right. uh, Liquid sort of mentions in, yep. her, in her verses. Uh, so, yeah, the middle class is disappearing and shrinking, which I think is even more important to talk about poverty um, in America today, especially, you know, I would I wish the mainstream media and, you know, cable news outlets would focus on this a little more just to bring attention. Maybe even, you know, by raising more awareness, people will be more empathetic to the the plight of these people who are basically who are really suffering. And, right. and I think it's Pramila Nadison who said it's basically for some people, extreme poverty is a death sentence. Right. And these are people who are living uh, on the on the sort of on the edge, could be steps away from dying just because of their lack of of resources yeah. and Just, you know yeah i mean and and you know that 40 million figure of americans living in poverty it quickly balloons to 140 million which is what uh, reverend uh, theo harris told us when you just consider low-income households. Right. Um, Philip Alston, when he's you know walking around the country and, and such vivid uh, scenes of such disparity and, quote, grim conditions, he called it, you know, where there's actually, you know, raw sewage, um, you know, flowing into these tent encampments of people who have zero money and are, you know, basically living, living in mud, you know, you know, eating out of dumpsters. But the sort of wider... Uh, portrait of poverty is that I believe the stat is in case of an emergency, if you polled uh, American families, who could amass just $400, mobilize it quickly for an emergency, only 50% of households would be able to do that. You know, let that sink in for a second. I mean, $400. Wow. You know? So it's much bigger than the stats, you know, and the stats are just shocking Right, because there's extreme poverty, there's poverty, and then there's almost poverty. <laughs> right. I mean, how many yeah, people right. do you know living paycheck to paycheck? Of course, a lot of people are paycheck to paycheck who are, you know, quote unquote, well off, well off, doing okay. You know, my bills are paid. I have an apartment. I have a car note, or whatever the case may be. But I don't have much more than that. Right. You know, and that's not poverty, and it's not putting me in the same boat. But once you have one or two of those emergencies pop up. You can spiral out of control. That we see this happening with communities that are targeted, even worse, because they get a couple of parking tickets, or, you know, speeding tickets, or 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 the, you know, then they have to miss work for a couple of days, and then so they don't get they're paid hourly, right? So now they don't have as much money. Then they're laid on a payment. Then they get a, an over a, a charge fee. Then their their bank account now they get hit with an overdraft fee. I forget who it is who said it, but one of the best uh, quotes I ever I ever heard. <laughs> I should remember who said it was. You know, it's incredibly expensive to be poor, mm-hmm. you know, because these things do, it just doesn't go smoothly for you anymore. And then before you know it, well, now you're late on your car note, your car note gets repo- And then b- before you know it, 
you're right there at the same level. You're right there, you know, at almost poverty. To to that point, you know, um, Alston, I, I recently watched a video of his uh, press conference unveiling, or just sort of his preliminary findings of the report, you know, where he talked about this uh, criminalization of poverty. And, you know, the example he gave was just take a regular homeless person that you see, okay? And what he witnessed was, you know, the police uh, telling these, these, these people who don't have anywhere to go, move along, move along, move along. You know, and one woman asked the police, you know, well, where should I go? And he said, I don't care where you go. You're not going to go here. And so, you know, it's illegal to loiter. You know, it's illegal to sleep or to sit on a bench for too long in America. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is the homeless person then gets arrested, and, and what typically happens with loitering or, or something like that, you get a fine. Well, you don't have any money to, to – you, if you had money, you wouldn't have been on the bench in the first place. Now you're hit with a fine that you can't pay. Right. So that fine doubles, triples, quadruples. Next thing you know, there's uh, – you know, you get picked up. Oh, you have these unpaid fines. This is several thousand dollars. It's a misdemeanor charge. Right. You end up in jail. And that's a whole other world. Then well, you end up in jail. Same thing as we talked about in past episodes. You hop a turnstile because, you know, I just don't have the, the Metro card money. You know, in, in, in New York City, a place, you know, the center of the world, you know, you hop a turnstile, you don't got a lot of money. And next thing you know, you get slapped with a ticket. You can't, obviously can't pay for that. You, you might you not be able to miss work to attend the, 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 bent, the summit, the, you know, your date in court. And it's a spiral. And it's a, so, again, it's expensive to be poor. It's hard to get out of that. And I think that that spiral you guys are talking about is important because, it, you know, when it comes to welfare, and we spoke with uh, Pramila Nadison, who is an expert expert on the welfare system in the United States, and one of the things that she discussed with us is this notion that uh, people on welfare are not trying to work, um, who are basically just sitting at home. Right. But she cited a University of Michigan study that looked at um, poor people um, over decades that found 90% of these people were cycling in and out of welfare, which indicated that they were in and out of jobs. Right. So these are people who are trying to get jobs who are actually working for periods of time, uh, but will lose their jobs for you know a number of factors, be it you know seasonal, whatever it is. It could be you know, seasonal whatever, employment, yeah. or they could just lost their job. Maybe they had to go to a doctor's visit and they couldn't take off of work. You right, know, right. they're in a job that where they somehow inconvenience their uh, employer. So it's just it's just another aspect of um, what you guys are talking about, how just living day by day. And these are not people who are just trying to live off um, the social safety net. Um, right. the, the social safety net is actually working. That's what it's supposed to be. People who are go- right. maybe you don't losing have it, a job, you know, supporting right. them so then they could get a job again instead of just falling into a deeper, deeper state of poverty, basically, uh, you know, a black hole and then you're homeless. Right. So she, she mentioned that, the you know, the people abusing the system. Sure, that happens. Of course it happens. Again, we're never, oh, yeah. we're never yeah, painting yeah. with any kind of wide brush here. But the statistics show that that's not the prevalent problem and that the welfare uh, system generally works to help people. Uh, in those cases when they need it. What I loved about what she brought up, I think it was her who brought up in the, in the in the episode, was let's also look at how we're defining welfare. There's other aspects of welfare that benefit people who aren't poor. Corporate welfare. Uh, what was it? Uh, I think she said like basically like tax rebates. Right, and, you tax, know. tax rebate, uh, you know, education, right. you know, loans, you know, things that you're able to get, right. you know, that are... That are or welfare. every parent has a child that they write off, right? You know, <laughs> that, that, that's sort of a welfare. You know, in, in a way, it's not the safety net kind of welfare. And and some of those things benefit people 
who have means to begin with. Right, right. And there's also this vilification of the people who are sort of living off the taxpayer dime, supposedly, uh, but not the people, the rich people who are, you know, uh, storing or hoarding their money offshore. Right. Not like, why taxes, are they right. not even paying their taxes? Why are right. they not being vilified as much, you know? Well, uh, that's, that's because that's, so, uh, there was some politician who said that not paying taxes makes him smart or something like that. Right. No, that's, a yeah. great, that's a great point, yeah. too. And, uh, you know, Alston brings it up, too, in that uh, you talk about fraud. You know, uh, on his on his sort of uh, fact-finding mission, you know, all he hear, you know, he hears that that stereotype, the welfare queen, queen, you know, um, and and you know, there's so much fraud, there's so much fraud, um, and yet, you know, what about the white-collar crime fraud? What about the multi-billion-dollars fraud? You don't hear about that. Why is that? Because those people have the money to defend themselves mm-hmm. and to get away with it. Right. You know, I think it's worth noting too when we talk about. Uh, uh, you know the politicization of this whole thing here. Both parties have blood all over their hands. You know, yeah. um, I think Alston's one of Alston's lines was something like, you know, the fact that we can see it and it's still an issue now means that it, it you know, was pervasive throughout Democrats and Republicans. You know, the point with the tax reform and to your point, Rochette, about how uh, those with the most to lose voted for the wolf in the room, right? Well, now you have a president who uh, just passes, quote, tax reform, his, his, quote, big, beautiful tax reform, where 80% of those tax benefits go to the top 1%. Right. And at the same time- At a time where we have a poverty uh, and welfare crisis. And at the right. same time, there's talk of chopping nearly $2 trillion from the, the social safety net programs right. Right. to SNAP, pay for yeah, that very SNAP same, quote, that, reform. You know? Right. And, and as you mentioned, you know, obviously- uh, People are sort of waiting for that uh, the attack on the welfare programs. Nadison mentioned, you know, policies enacted under President Bill Clinton, you know, the Democrat, sure. who had the 1994 crime bill, which you mentioned was criminalizing the poor. Because yep. especially when you talk about the war on drugs and how that disproportionately impacts African-American communities. Um, and the 1996 welfare uh, bill. Which you know, um, may, you know, made it harder for people to live under that social safety net to get them out of poverty. So, as Chris mentions, and it's it's, it's more important to emphasize, is that this is uh, a bipartisan, right. <laughs> basically, attack on the poor, um, which sort of doesn't make sense. And I think Alston, we keep mentioning. I think everybody should just read the report, <laughs> you know, because it's it's really helpful. Um, but he has a very pragmatic approach where he says inequality is not a good strategy. You know, it, it right. becomes more expensive. You know, the, the poor are suffering. Healthcare costs are on the rise. The healthcare industry in, in the United States is not as good as they are in, in certain other countries, especially in Europe. So he said it's, it's, it's actually not good for the health of the nation moving forward, and it should be addressed. Right. And, 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 and let's just talk about the, the quickly. I mean, the, the, the fundamental here is that everyone should have the right to basic necessities and services. Right. And that's what's at the heart of this this episode here. Right. I mean to hear that there I mean to hear that Flint, Michigan is still a thing. Yeah. To hear them talk about going to places in Alabama. Right. And you know families don't have and the the hookworm disease has reemerged. This hookworm disease has right. reemerged. Um that that there's tens of thousands of people in different areas that don't have clean drinking water that don't have access to proper indoor plumbing that you know skid row in los angeles you know we talk about yeah, 1800 people homeless you know homeless encampments mm-hmm. you know uh, what do they call them uh tent cities tent cities yeah right that this is something that we haven't been able to solve if 40 million people were were in poverty in 1968 
and 40 plus million people are in poverty now. I mean, granted, we have more people well, and, now. And, and child poverty, according to a recent report, has actually gotten worse. Since Children. The, the, the child, the child, just, just a little factoid here. Yeah. A child born in the United States is 76% more likely to die before their first birthday. And those that survive are fit, have a 57% greater risk to die before adulthood. Compared to who? All developed countries. That's there's, insane. There's actually, yeah. For, Not, uh, for, they're, 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 just you know, to quantify here, yeah, yeah. the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development Nations, basically all the rich, the right. richest nations right. on the planet. Right. Uh, we have the highest child mortality rate of all, right. quote, developed countries right. in that, in yeah, that which, group. Yeah, which in that some of the stuff that Alston met, uh, mentions, I mean, not he doesn't drill down like Chris just did, right. but some of these indicators, um, these organizations have found that we're sort of at the bottom of the developed countries that they monitor. And it's amazing. It's, I think it's another point, again, that Alston uh, makes in his report. It's that this is one of, and as Chris said, by some parameters, one of the richest, con- the richest country in the world. Sure. We spend more on our military than... Uh, it's it's either it's the, the eight, five the or eight. six combined other countries combined. Instead of mobilizing some of that money to help the poor, it's now also going to give people who are already rich and well off and who are already at the not even the top one percent, the top half percent of the income bracket, more money to spend. And we make money off of poor people in a, in a variety of of ways. Uh, you know, the private prison system, for example. Uh, there's so many ancillary industries and we've talked about obviously the the bail bond right. you know, industry and and all these other again that tie into the criminalization of the poor that is, that are you know drivers of of a certain economy for a certain group of people yeah so the, there's the, not a lot of incentive yeah. to just help people for the sake of helping them right right because you'd have to someone would have to lose give up something right and a lot of these uh, uh these private entities are, are campaign contributors yeah, I, I mean, and 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 uh, and this is the last time we'll mention Austin, please today. today <laughs> yeah. but, but, well, uh, you know, Austin is the man. Some of the he is a man. Uh, a lot of the, some some of the counties that he visited, the police were blatantly revenue generators right. agencies as opposed to law enforcement agents. Right. These these little these infractions, whether it's an infraction or you know something something larger. They were balancing the budgets basically right. the off mo- yeah. of the yeah. number of tickets, you know. And the most recent example, obviously, is Ferguson, Ferguson. Missouri. Yeah. You know, when he the calls de- it the Ferguson effect. The yeah. Ferguson effect. When the Department of Justice went in after Michael Brown was um, slaughtered in the streets, they found that basically, as Chris mentioned, they were, uh, you know, the, the city budget was being, um, mm-hmm. they, were, they were able to compensate people based off of tickets and infractions from uh, the black it, community. There. It's the boss hog, Dukes of Hazard uh, style of. You remember Dukes of Hazard, that like crazy, like low key racist show that was like on TV for a bunch of years. They would always, whenever the 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 country music stars would come through the the town, the police would pull them over and give them a ticket and let them off if you just played a concert for free. Okay. So at the end of the show, you always have like you know twangy sneeds and the and the long hairs playing. You know, some I hope concert. you can play a clip. Right. Uh, to- yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean. I'm joking, but this is not a laughing matter, of course, because this is exactly what happens. And Ferguson was only caught because there was a Department of Justice investigation yeah, into them. Yeah. And they are probably indicative of a million small rural townships across the country that are doing the same thing. Again, making money off of the poor. And as they say, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Right. So, yeah. you know. So there's a confluence of things happening here. 
Yeah, there's that. As there's with a everything. Lot. Yeah, it's, not, um, it's not just one or two things. That what it's not- were the recommend? As we always try to tell people who listen to Newsbeat and, and hear these issues, you know, there's things you can do. We want to make sure you get involved. If you read Alston's report, you get a better insight as to what's really happening in the, you know, in the in the shadows yeah. of, of our nation. It's exhaustive, uh, and it's not even his full report that comes out in June. I'm, I'm sure it is. Obviously, on an individual level, there's this is something that that is far reaching. Not like you can go out and you know do too many things on an individual level because you're talking about a nationwide problem. You're talking about political. You're talking about institutional. You know, there's a lot of things that, at work here. What does an Austin suggest? Or, you know, you said he's pragmatic about some things. Like, what what is being done as a country? Like, you know, is our federal government just asleep at the wheel on this now? Uh, you know, contributing to making the problem worse? So one of the points of Austin's report was not to come up with specific, you know, drilled down recommendations. Um, he does highlight these things and make these reports available and does meet with respective governments to stress these things. Um, shockingly, maybe not shockingly, he asked for a meeting with the DOJ and they never return his calls or they, they, they just flat out refuse. So he calls for an integrated approach to this. Again, this is so multi, multi-tiered. multi Yeah. Um, I mean, I would suggest, as, as we often do on, on the backbeat, some groups. He mentioned two on his uh, trek across the country. One was a church, uh, St. Boniface in San Francisco, that um, they have such a homeless issue there that the, the church, in between masses, and whenever uh, the church was not in session for a congregation, would let the homeless you know, sleep and, and sit in the sit in the pews. And when he asked the uh, administrator there, this is this is great. I mean, this is a great use of resources, and it keeps. And she said, "We only know of one other church in the entire country that that does this." A second group he brought up, what I think is insanely you know overlooked. I definitely did not think about this, but just as everyone here, everyone listening, has to go to the dentist every now and then, think about being homeless. Your teeth, you know, yeah, that's your, not a, you know, that's your not physiology, a, yeah. your teeth don't change. I mean, they're going to rot out. They're going to they're gonna get infected. You're going to need to go to a dentist. Right. And they obviously don't have the money. And so what happens, their, their teeth rots out. You know, he uses an example. Their, you know, their breath smells. They, that also helps prevent them from getting a job. You know, they show up at a, at a job and they have, you know, teeth sure. coming. Um, but, you know, he found in uh, West Virginia a group called uh, Health Rights, completely volunteer-run they go around with a mobile mobile unit huh. of dentists and and nurses and other medical issues too, right? And, and they do. yeah, yeah, and uh, they treat I think over twenty one thousand people per year. Wow, you know, so these are groups out there yeah. making a difference. I mean, right. obviously, Human Rights Watch and stuff. I mean, there's so many right. groups. And, and um, uh, Theo Harris mentions this too. Also, it's basically if you want to address the issue, ask the poor themselves and see what they would do to, you know, change their situation. And she mentioned a couple of things. There was in Michigan, the way they're trying to, you know, better improve the water quality there, little things like that. Yeah. You know, the neighborhood community initiatives that don't get a lot of fanfare, like the, the hospital in, in, well, the mobile hospital that Chris mentioned in West Virginia right. that are doing the work that, you know, you would maybe expect a, a state or local government, you know, to help out and do uh, so that that's one initiative. And I think the other thing that also mentions is just it's more of a uh, 
uh, it's more of a philosophical notion where, you know, this is a big country and people have a lot of views. We sort of need to drill down on people that, you know, we're really actually supporting one another. The, the person down the block who might be out of a job and is getting some assistance for a few weeks, you know, they're not trying to do this intentionally. They're just trying to um, stay afloat while they could better themselves and get a job. Right. So, you know, it's just, just this idea that um, people um, are not trying to munch off the uh, the welfare system like the stereotype suggests. Right. I think that's important, you know. Don't give in to the stereotypes. Right. You know, when you see someone homeless on the street, as Rashad just said, you know, no one wants to be homeless. I mean, let's put it that way. Right. No one wants to be in poverty across right. the country. No one wants to be. You know, there's there's poverty traps. There's where it's, I don't want to say easier to be in poverty. I mean, you know, if you look at it and say, well, there's no child care available. So how can I go to work if I have to watch my child and there's no, you know, uh, affordable child care in my area uh, or there's no jobs available in my area that pay me, you know, enough to like, then you're kind of trapped in this cycle. But I don't think that the the, the people would say, I don't want to go work and earn a living and make more money than I get today. You know what I mean? Like, I agree with you. I don't think anybody right. wants that. I think that most people don't want this and they're looking for solutions. But when your community doesn't have clean drinking water, right? then it's not very likely that your community is going to be supplying great jobs or that your local government uh, who supports the police coming through your, your neighborhoods, white, black, rural, everywhere, and just, you know, feasting on on your paychecks with the uh, with traffic infractions you know and other things along those lines you're getting the raw end of the stick you know and as we saw who they voted for right. i don't know that that's necessarily going to be the solution they were hoping for right but so, you know i think when we were talking you know just outside that you know you imagine how you know they heard someone come through their town saying you know i'm going to bring back jobs i'm going to bring back um this uh, industry that sort of was um, hit hard by so-called globalization or, you know, right. uh, this company was moving uh, some of its jobs to Mexico or other countries. You know, when you hear someone come through like that, yeah. you know, they sort of sound like your savior. I get it. You know, you could sort of understand why they would vote for, you know, the person who's loudest and saying that. Um, you the know, guy this with is the gold-plated uh, toilet seat. Right. They, You know, they might ignore that. But, you know, but Trump was also the person, you know, shouting some of these like Bernie Sanders-like things like everybody's going to have health care. You know, when he right. was on the campaign trail. Right. And, and again, and everybody's going to get a bigger paycheck than yeah, your yeah. taxes. And then you, it turns out that, like, you know, you're getting a little bit a Paul little Ryan, bit extra. Uh, a dollar. Yeah, or, you're getting a yeah. little extra in your, in your paycheck. But it's not like that. And the jobs may be continuing to do well on the comeback, but your wages aren't increasing. And not, not only that, you know, are those... Are those factory jobs coming back? Are those coal mine jobs coming back? As you were promised, right. probably not. Or not what to, can government do to help you transition to another right, profession? Right, exactly. So so is that happening? Are all the things that you expected to happen? Or you just you know say, well, yeah, you'd get all this stuff done if you would just you know, stop talking about Russia. Self-inflicted well, wounds. We'll see how it goes. But the bottom line is that this is a, it continues to be a huge problem in our country, uh, a, a really sad one. And again, this is you know another thing that crosses – all races, right. uh, demographics, genders, and age groups, you know, poverty-stricken children, poisonous water, raw sewage in your neighborhood, tent cities. Yeah, and then Theo Harris mentioned to us, you know, pe- children dying in the parents' arms because, you know, there was no Medicaid coverage for their child, right. and they couldn't go to a doctor. And, 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 and Alston gives the devastating uh, stat that uh, statistically we talk about child mortality and you know of these millions of children uh, born into poverty they'll likely not escape 
you know, if things right. remain the same or worse and even more. And they haven't so far in, in decades now. Yeah. So, uh, and of course, we, we mentioned just as a quick reminder, we mentioned all the groups that are doing uh, this this work to either find out more about or get involved with. Poor is People's the Poor Campaign. campaign. Yeah. Definitely. You know, the Poor People's definitely. Campaign is definitely, uh, you know, the one that you might want to look into just to obviously stay on top of. Yeah. You know, I find that every time we mention these organizations, you know, we follow them on Twitter, we follow them on Facebook because they put out information. You know, they, they put out articles, they put out studies, they put out reports, they put out news. And, you know, we when we're in a world of fake news, real news, you know, all these things happening, some of these organizations, Human Rights Watch, Poor People's Campaign, I don't really see this as being a left-right biased kind of thing that they're doing. They're pointing out yeah. areas of, of need in the yeah. country. And again, with poverty, with this episode, why it speaks so much to say, hey, white people. You know, it's not the 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 welfare queen. You know, black woman, seventy eight different babies. It's not the. It's not about immigrants taking your jobs. You know, and all these the part of the rhetoric. It's but there are poverty stricken white people that also yeah. need the right kind of treatment from the right. government that they're not getting. Uh, people of color disproportionately fall into poverty and they're disproportionately targeted. So it may be less numbers, but certainly a higher percentage of their population. Children being born into poverty. Uh, there was a crack epidemic. There was an AIDS epidemic. These things have, have now there's an opioid epidemic. You know what I mean? There's there's so many factors that are, are bringing communities down. It's, the, it's also, the, you know, you just got to try to get a, a away from the stereotypes. Right. That's you know? like, that's, right. Like, and it, it's hard because, you know, <laughs> we, we mentioned race a lot in this episode, but it's also, like I said, it's the stereotypes because... You know, when Trump came into office, there was a report from NBC News um, when he met with leaders of the African-American caucus that when one leader told him that, you know, I, I'm in a community that's stricken by poverty and not all people there that are poor or black. He was surprised to hear that. He was shocked. He said right. he quote said, so who are they? So, you know, when it's right. the president of the United States, you know, granted, one would argue that someone who's elevated to such a position would have done the research and would have hadn't, you know, known uh, what the stats are. But, you know, he is an indication that there's millions of other people who sure. just don't understand it. Sure. And um, some of them are the ones that are actually are in poverty, are which in is poverty. sad. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, but definitely the poor people's campaign, as you mentioned, because, you know, they're crisscrossing the nation still. They're hitting these communities. You might find out you wouldn't know, but they, maybe they're going to your community sometime soon. Soon, and it might be um, you might be interested in getting involved or just listening to what they have to say. Right. So so powerful, so educationally. I just uh, recently uh, went to their website and checked out uh, some of the videos they they put up. I mean, at each stop, they make a top priority giving voice to the locals there, and right. and the, you know you hear it's just. It's, well, Rashad said it's it. If you I can't mean, fix the problems, if you don't hear what the problems are, and there's no one who's going to tell you more than the people who are going through it uh, themselves, and and typically those voices have been underrepresented. So, uh, in the spirit of what we like to do here at Newsbeat, is to help provide uh, a platform for those voices even through those organizations. Maybe this is the first time you've been hearing about the Poor People's Campaign. Maybe this is the first time you've been hearing about Philip Alston's work documenting what's happening throughout the country. Human Rights Watch, other things we've been talking about. So we're helping elevate their voices. They're helping elevate directly the voices of the people who are going through these issues. And, um, you know, that's that's what we're doing. We're trying to bring stories of social justice and civil liberties uh, to your ears through the Newsbeat podcast. Uh, make it hot. Make it sound good. Um, and special, maybe special shout out to Liquid, who, in this who, episode, who really weaponized uh, this 
ongoing war against poverty. Yep. Uh, once again, Liquid. Uh, you can check her out at IamLiquid.com. Uh, I know that she's about to put out a new project, uh, so I want you guys to check her out. She's on Twitter at AKA Liquid. Liquid is spelled L-I-K-W-U-I-D. L-I-K-W-U-I-D. And of course, USNewsBeat.com. We have all the information about all the voices and all the artists that participate in all of our episodes. We have a full cover story, which goes into greater detail. So again, we kind of just shoot the breeze here at Backbeat and talk about some of the things uh, very well researched and written full cover story goes with each episode so again more information can be found there we encourage you to look up and follow the poor people's campaign and uh and some of the other organizations and groups that we've talked about in this episode and we encourage you of course to follow liquid and continue to follow us so again follow us on twitter us newsbeat follow us on instagram us newsbeat follow us on facebook us newsbeat and if you'd like to if you feel so inclined to help us contribute to bring these amazing artists to the forefront you can go to usnewsbeat.com/support and we have uh, received some donations. I'm gonna gather up those names and give them a shout out on the next Big best beat. So we've next been we've beat. been receiving some love on the donation tip. Uh, we are um, looking for bigger and better ways to deliver our messages to everyone. But in the meantime, in between time, what you could do is donate a little bit to our support page. It goes directly to these wonderful artists from the independent music community that we're uh, we're so blessed to have their perspective and their talent. Join us on Newsbeat. So we'll be back soon with another full episode. Uh, again, all of our past episodes can be found wherever you find podcasts. You're undoubtedly subscribed by now. Wherever you are subscribed, be, uh, feel free to rate, review. Um, give us a review if you have something to say. That helps. They, you know, Everyone wants to know before they subscribe to a, to a new podcast what the deal is. So make sure you give a, a good review if you feel so inclined. Share us with your friends. Word of mouth goes a long way. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Contact us, usnewsbeat.com. There's a contact form there, and we can be found all over the web, like I said. My name is Manny Faces. I'm the producer and host of Backbeat and Newsbeat. Uh, once again, on behalf of Chris Tawarski, our editor-in-chief, Rashed Mian, our managing editor, uh, Mr. Jed Mori at the uh, top of uh, the chain and part of the Mori Creative Studios umbrella that houses us all to that entire team, including Jeff Main with the incredible artwork on all of our episodes. You know, we, we um, my MS Paint skills uh, would embarrass us. Uh, luckily, we have Jeff Maine to provide all the great artwork that you see on all of our episodes. Thanks for listening. We do appreciate you. We appreciate your ears. We appreciate you sharing us, and we will talk to you soon. Peace. The Newsbeat Podcast is owned by Newsbeat, Inc. Visit us at usnewsbeat.com. The producer and host of Newsbeat is Manny Faces. Our editor-in-chief is Christopher Tawarski. Newsbeat's managing editor is Rashed Meehan. The executive producer of Newsbeat is Jed Morey. Our podcast and website are co-produced and managed by Morey Creative Studios. Newsbeat relies on listener support and grants. Artists that appear on the podcast are compensated for original material. To support Newsbeat or contribute to our Artist-in-Residence program, visit us at usnewsbeat.com and click on support. Subscribe to Newsbeat by Mori Creative Studios wherever you download your podcasts by searching for Newsbeat.